So I'd first ask these people that I'm coaching, where are you right now? What is going well? We can easily focus on what isn't going well because everybody did that first. I obsess on that. What is going well? Okay, so now we've got a baseline of what is going well. What do you want to go more well? Where would you like to work towards? And then this is a long evolved process, but I help them put together an actionable plan. Together, we figure out if we're going to get from point A to point B, and then to point C, and then maybe D, what does that plan look like? And then we break it down into baby steps. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman, formerly the Gene Queen on QVCHSN, now the proud host of my podcast, Too Young to Be Old. And today I ask you this question. Is your life a hot mess, girls? If you are over 50 and you are going through menopause, a great divorce, a career change, an aged out corporate forced retirement, are you an empty nester? Are you having to move the family home and downsize? All super stressful transitional points in your life. Well, guess what? We have got Ellen Rossi, the ultimate transition coach. And Ellen, I can tell you, I just went through a combination of career change slash aging out of the career I had been in for 30 years. And boy, could I, where were you? I could have used you. It was so stressful. I honestly felt like I was walking a gangplank and just being pushed off the edge into a dark night. Now, fortunately, five weeks after I left everything in my career that was really familiar to me, too familiar, I was given an opportunity, but that doesn't happen for everybody. And I have to say that part of that came with almost a total identity change for me. So let's talk about, honestly, aging unapologetically and how we get to that identity change through your fabulous advice. Thank you, Diane, for that introduction. And this is a topic that is near and dear to my own heart from my own experiences, those of my clients, those of my friends, colleagues, family. It is very common. When we go through some kind of change like that, our identity is called into question. Our identity is you realize how tied into what you were, you felt. For example, if you're at, you meet somebody, they say, what do you do? And your answer is, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm a something. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm my job, basically. Forgetting, of course, you're also likely a mother, a wife, a girlfriend, a sister, a friend, and, and you also have other parts of your life that are not defined in even those terms. For example, I'm creative. Someone else might be musical. Someone else might be great with gardening or some other thing. But what we tie our identity to is what we do for work. So when that changes, we are forced into, especially if you're retiring or particularly retiring not by choice, 
because then you really are bereft. You have no sense of identity. What am I? I have no idea. Yes. And, and yes. then what really needs to happen is you need to figure out who do you actually want to be. And that's when the transition part starts to come into play. And, you know, when you talk about it, it really resonates with me, aging unapologetically. I was in two professions, a dual profession of visual television, where you had an audience that could never forgive you for growing older. They want you to just remain where you were, where they liked you the most. And fashion, which is so youth obsessed that when I actually had my key moment in my career at the age of 60, developing a baby boomer gene for women my age and me, I mean, uh, it was just unbelievable the tightrope I felt I walked to always appear 20, 25, 30 years younger to never reference where I was at, to never say, oh, oh my God, I can't wear never. these shoes one more minute. I'm killing myself. Yeah. And, and if you make a cultural reference, automatically your age. So I could see, if I told somebody in the context of a work environment, I went to a Beatles concert. Okay. I have just shot my credibility as a worker because then they realize, oh my God, she's that old. My experience was the same as yours, less on the physical side as it was on sort of the business work environment side. I was working in a digital media company and I didn't start there till after I'd already spent a lot of years in advertising. So I was seasoned and I had, let's see, my kids were pretty grown by that point. So I was definitely older than a lot of people there. So I was super careful about not making cultural references. But what I found to be more important even is that I didn't feel appreciated for the wisdom and knowledge I had gained from all my years of experience. I felt like that was not valued. What was valued was youth and beauty. Yeah. And the new people coming in not the people that actually had a deep knowledge of the business. And that was really unfortunate. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I didn't start television until I was 47, HSN, QBC. I had, um, my reference point was the customer was about the same age. The average age of the customer was 50. So, okay, great. I fit right in. But then they never want you to grow older than 50. Right. So, you know, at, at 60, 65, I'm still wearing four-inch Jimmy Choo spike heels on there. It's killing me. and But you can't. You can't ever admit it. You can't ever grow old. And I put so much of my self-worth into almost carving in stone. This is the age I'm going to stay for as long as I can. And when I can no longer stay there, I'm going to be totally devalued and have to leave. When in fact, I, I in turn contracted breast cancer in the meantime. So I came back to television. I had breast cancer at 72 and 73, came back at the very end of 73, 
years old, going into 74 years old, and then found, honestly, physically, it was just so a really abusive schedule, 3 a.m., whatever. So I guess one of my discussions with you would be when you are aging out of a profession you're in, it is almost automatic that you want to go right back into what you're familiar with. Like if you're aging out of corporate, all you knew your whole life was corporate. That meant you were going to get that paycheck every two weeks and you were going to get those benefits or dividends or that 401k. What do you say to women, to people about not that you can't repeat your youth and you've sort of got to move on as a transition coach. I mean, that's the first thing I would ask you, where do I go now that is age friendly for the space I'm in at this point in my life? Diane, that's an excellent question. Thank you. I think I would start by having that woman, presumably a woman, but could be a man as well, really think deeply about what they care about. And I like to take people through my values exercise, where they look at the values they feel are really most important to them. And we, that, they narrow it down to, say, three to five. And these values can be honesty, communication, family, creativity, financial security, or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter what they are. All it matters is what do you really value? And what you value can help drive what you're going to do next. Because that helps you understand what you care about and what direction you're going to feel most in sync with. So if there's something, for example, that could be a value. Say we've got a woman that has worked in a corporate setting for a long, long time, and she's clueless what to do next. But if she realizes that giving back is something that she's excited about, she might look for some kind of charitable organization that could use ah. transferable skills. Because a lot of what she's learned in her previous life as in the corporate world is transferable. That's so interesting. I know someone that just did that. <laughs> that is so much more satisfied. Yes. With life right now. Right. And yeah. it is trade-offs. I loved having a paycheck. I loved having a regular schedule and 401k and all that stuff. I, and benefits, particularly as we age, we really want health care. Um, but then when I got laid off and tried to do what you suggested, which is get another job back doing what I knew I yeah. could do. It was a disaster from their point of view and from mine. It was horrible. It was a short-term contract job. And when that contract period was over, we couldn't get away from each other fast enough. So the trade-off I made at that point was to say, okay, look, maybe you can't get hired in San Francisco, which is a very young tech town, which is where I live, doing the kind of work you were doing. Maybe it's time to look at what you want to do what you can do. The trade-off being the con is I'm giving up that steady paycheck and I'm giving up health insurance. However, there are ways to work around that. The pro is for the first time in my life, I have flexibility of schedule. I have never had that before. It is heaven compared Isn't to- it? Yeah. It's 
it's a game changer. Yeah. It's made me so much happier. You know, for me, um, and I had told you this at the very beginning of our discussion before we came on air, um, for me, menopause was the great dividing wall. And it wasn't that my symptoms were so intense. It was number one, I saw menopause uh, because my mother went through it very early and really violently and it totally changed and degraded her life. So that was my vision, but my hair started to fall out. My skin, nothing would moisturize it. I was packing on the pounds around the middle. Now, interestingly enough, so was my whole audience. So we were in it together. And when I developed sort of the postmenopausal baby boom gene, boomer gene, it was the light bulb moment of my entire career. But I saw menopause as a great wall between my experiences of youth and what I was facing was being a non-fertile woman, even though I never had cared about having children, but losing my beauty, losing my vitality, losing a lot of my mobility, and not having that automatic wake up every morning and, hey, you're looking pretty good with bed head and no makeup on. What as a transition coach, do you do for women who, like me, saw menopause as a great divide? I think it's really about learning to love your body image. Huh. Regardless of your experience through menopause, and but at that point, at that sort of age, at some time you look in the mirror and you go, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get this. And I remember when I was a little girl, my grandmother had said that she looked in the mirror and she felt 29 and she was shocked at the wrinkly woman staring back at her. So true. And that stayed with me because I got to that point. I suddenly looked in the mirror and went, what the hell? What happened? Who is that? Who is that stranger? So I think it's about coming to terms with who you are. And this doesn't mean giving up on feeling like you look good. Because my own journey has been such that when I was younger, I actually felt worse about the way I looked than I do now, even though I've got wrinkles now. I've got gray hair. I've got, you know, elastic skin that sags. And even if I work on my triceps, there's still going to be a wobble, no matter what I do. But I have come to appreciate my health appreciate that I do what I can to take care of myself. It is, some of it's in my control. A lot of it's not, of course, but what I can do, I do. But I've learned to appreciate who I am from the inside, which helps me feel better about what's on the outside. You know, that is words of wisdom. And the one thing that I learned, but I have a very difficult time with it because I'm always a planner. You know, I'm like the squirrel that wants to gather all the nuts and getting ready for winter and winter's always coming. But I think the thing that I would say has been the biggest life lesson and something that I really did learn from going through breast cancer was you have got to live in the moment. 
yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not happened yet. And if you are not happy in the moment you're in, you're never going to be happy. So how do you teach your, how do you coach people as a transition coach to be happy with where they're at right now? I think that's super tough. It is. It is definitely tough, but they have to start by recognizing what is going well. And I do something every night when I get in bed and I turn out the light. The very first thing I do before I try to fall asleep is ask myself what went right today. Wow. I do this every single night. Wow. And it can be something really minuscule. It doesn't have to be a big, huge, great thing that happened. But if I can make it past five, because I, you know, go like this on my fingers. Um, and I know if I make it past five, that was a good day. It doesn't matter how stupid and small the, the things are, but just things that I thought went well. And that sets me on a more positive outlook, more of the glasses half full than the ha- glasses half empty. So I'd first ask these people that I'm coaching, where are you right now? What is going well? We can easily focus on what isn't going well because everybody did yeah. that first. I obsess on think that. About what is going well? Okay, so now we've got a baseline of what is going well. What do you want to go more well? Where would you like to work towards? And then this is a long evolved process, but I help them put together an actionable plan. Together, we figure out If we're going to get from point A to point B and then to point C and then maybe D, what does that plan look like? And then we break it down into baby steps and we've prioritized those baby steps and we've also given it a sense of timing. What's realistic? You know, you're not going to accomplish something if it's not realistic. So let's be, first of all, super honest. If For example, your relationships with your siblings aren't going well, and that's causing you stress, and that's something you really don't like. That's something that you can work on, but you're not going to fix it in two weeks. That's something that you can tackle. Same as if you want to make a job transition, a career transition, you can tackle those steps if we lay them out and look at them very realistically. And so I help my clients be accountable to themselves and to me on that plan very pragmatic point of view and I'm a pragmatic girl but when I decided to give up a career I was number one at and could have been comfortable till the day I died in for 30 years I said to myself oh my god my business was my baby I protected it I nurtured it I grew it and now I'm so And boy, I was like the ultimate empty nester. empty nester. And people really got to the point where it was like, oh my God, I just don't want to hear you whine about it one <laughs> more minute. And then, of course, it turned out really good because I love podcasting. But do you find that there are people that you coach? that were really invested in their career or the business they built and 
they give it up for any number of reasons that involve age or circumstance, and they're suddenly an empty vessel and they don't know how yep. to fill it again. Very common. That was it, really- I've had more than one client in that, actually several clients in that situation. It's very common to have no clue. What are you going to do? And one client I had had this huge sense of guilt. She took an early retirement package from a major corporation. And then she's like, I'm too young. I still have to work. I still have to work. I need to get another full-time job. And we worked on that attitude. Where did that come from and why? How reality-based was it? And gradually, we got her to the point that she could say, oh, maybe I don't have to do that. And what do I want to do instead? And she was so grateful to give up that sense of burden and guilt. Mm -hmm. And then she was able to approach things in a much different way. And she did figure out things to do. And she was thriving. It took a while, but she did it. My first um, encounter with not having a full work day was number one having breast cancer. So I did work for nine months, 10 months. But um, the minute I got back to television and I went on much sooner than I might've liked to, but that was the deal. Hey, COVID hit. So now suddenly you're not flying down to a TV studio. You're not flying to Europe because I did TV all over the world, but I had to be there physically. Now, you're on a form of Zoom or Skype, and my God, you've got all this time. And it was like, oh, so this is what people feel who don't work. Yeah, I don't know. I think I could get into this groove. So I still had a career, but I wasn't spending days trying to get to another country or get to another state or get to that TV studio so I could still fulfill what I felt were my responsibilities and where my talent lay. But I suddenly had free time and it was like, wow, this is what married women do who don't work. They actually get to do stuff like go to a facial spa or exercise every day. And it was a huge revelation for me. And maybe it was good, as bad as COVID was, that that hit. And in a profession like mine, they just closed down the studio and had, you know, a robotic studio. And we all connected that way. Then when it came back to going back into it again, I thought, you know what? I'm 77 years old. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I think I need to do something more age appropriate. And also chemotherapy did a whole number on my body. And I needed to honor my body much more than I had. Do you find that one of your biggest challenges might be people who come back after COVID and say, no, no, wait a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to be in an office every day. I want to be remote. I want my own, I want that four hours of commuting time a day for me. And they find that the environment, work environment they're in 
is not going to accept that and forces them to have to rethink their whole life. How does that work? Absolutely. That is in San Francisco. That's very prevalent because so many people have opted not to work, not to go back to work physically, at least not full time. Some companies have started to require a certain number of days per week. And I understand the value of that. Making a hybrid work community work is a challenge. But lots of people did come to the same realization that you did, that, hey, I'm just as effective doing this job from home, and I get to spend more time with my kids. I'm not commuting. I can unload the dishwasher while I'm you know, waiting for this conference. Yeah. <laughs> allow them to achieve a better work-life balance, definitely. The challenge comes, I think, when there's a disconnect between what the employer expects versus what the employee wants. And that is something that I know a lot of businesses have experienced. But from the worker's point of view, I'd say find a way to make it work. Find that balance for yourself and be willing to be flexible for your employer, and it'll probably work out. Now, your mantra is identify, prioritize, implement. Mm -hmm. How many people find that difficult to do? And actually, what do you think your rate of success is? Because sometimes I think people have to prod me like I'm a dead slug to get me to actually do something. And then once I do it, I'm like, wow, this is really great. And they're like, yeah, it took us two years to get you to even consider it. How do people come to you, Ellen? Do they come to you? And and this is close to our final question. Do they come to you in a state of distress saying to you, oh my God, my life is a hot mess. How do I cool it down? How do I calm it down? Or do they come to you sort of pragmatically? How do they find you? It depends. It really depends. Each person's situation is different and each person's personality and how they deal with things is different. So it's hard to make a sweeping generalization. However, I think one reason it may take you, for example, two years to get to that implementation change place is because it wasn't your idea in the first place. What we work with, what I work with with the clients is this has to come from them. We cannot force somebody, I can't make anybody do anything. That's not my role. My role is to help them identify what they want to do. And you can't do everything. So you have to prioritize in order to work towards making that something happen. How is this going to work? What is most important? What are you willing to make trade-offs about? And then the implement part is, okay, you can talk about it, but it w- it's meaningless unless we can find a realistic way to make this happen. So people have their own ways to approach this. Some of them start out a hot mess. Some of them are very pragmatic. They really vary. So I have to be a good listener. And as a coach, I have to reflect back to them. What is their style? What is their personality going to need? So it's my job to help them figure out what they want, not for me to make them do anything. For me, I have been obsessed and frankly still am with fashion my whole life. 
oh my God, my biggest goal in life was to be a well-known, well-worn fashion designer. But when I decided I needed to leave the industry, I gave up my right to design fashion going forward and my name on the label. So now suddenly the biggest crutch in my life was unavailable. And so I, I very pragmatically asked myself, what, what do you like about what you do? Well, I'm a Leo. I like a lot of attention. So I like a camera. <laughs> and what do you think you do well? I think, apart from designing, communication. And when I sold on TV, um, they were usually fairly upset with me because I was delivering a social message, which I felt incorporated a pair of jeans rather than just a hard sell of a jean. A jean represented youth. A jean represented happy moments. A jean represented family memories. And um, so I thought, you know, I don't know anything about social media. But I do like podcasts, and could I actually do one? And then weirdly enough, four and a half weeks after I walked away from that career of 30 years, my dream career, someone said to me, you should be doing podcasts. Want to do podcasts? We, let's do a podcast, a weekly podcast. It was like, whoa. So I think that would you say your greatest talent is sussing out your clients talents and and loves and putting them together with the reality of the situation i would say yes that but almost as an overarching more important layer is Making them feel good about their decisions, making oh, them feel good so, about so important. what they're going to do, regardless of what those talents are. And yes, I love sussing them out and helping them them do that. But I really am focused on making sure that they're feeling like they're making the right decisions for themselves, and that they're empowered to make some changes if these don't work out, and not go back to square one and feel defeated. And and tell me, how how did you, did you become, and final question, a life transition coach through your own experience of finding it very difficult to transition or because you're very logical and you thought this logic is step by step and I can show people how to follow it. How did you become the life transition coach you are today? It's a combination of the fact that I hate change. <laughs> Parents got new furniture when I was four. I remember them telling me, you don't like it just because you don't like change. And wow. I thought, oh, that really resonated. So change is something that I've noticed about myself or my resistance to change. So that's been tough. Um, and so it, that was the genesis of the personal experience part. When I did get laid off and, and had to reinvent myself, that was a result of years of knowing I don't like change, but also being at my lowest point, really, and discovering I needed to make a big transition. 
So yes, and I've made, of course, lots of transitions between being four and getting laid off when I was much older. <laughs> How but, old were you when you got laid off? If I could okay, ask. let me think about this. Um, I was, let's see, I, I don't remember the exact year, but I think I was probably about 60, maybe six. Wait, maybe 62, something like that. So I was definitely older than a lot of the other people who got laid off at the same time. But it was like, whoa, I did not expect to have to reinvent myself at this age. Yeah, 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 yeah. I felt that way at 10 years older at 72. When I got breast cancer, got through it and got out of it and thought, you're not the same person physically, visually, or mentally you were when you went into this. And I did not expect I was going to have to reshift yeah. everything that made me, me. And, and one last question, because it's something I so suffer from, and it could be because I'm on screen all the time, body dysmorphia mm -hmm. after a certain age. Um, you know, as older women, we have no one to look at. So when I look at my body, the only things I'm looking at um, on social media, on television, in a movie, I'm looking at women who are 40 years younger than me and spend 12 hours a day in the gym. And I'm always so angry at myself and disappointed in myself. And for God's sakes, I'm 78. I'm almost 80. but I am still yep. fighting with <laughs> my own body image. Just one last piece of advice, I promise. <laughs> How do you allow yourself a healthy body image at any age? Pastor? At any age. I started grappling with this when I was 16. I had a creative writing teacher that gave me an assignment to write about my body. It was devastating. She said, write about the parts you like and that you, those that you don't. Well, at that point, I didn't like anything. Yeah. But as I grew older, I discovered there are parts of my body I do like. I do have some things going in my favor. Other parts, are, they are what they are. It's a certain amount of acceptance, which is not the same as resignation. But there's a certain mix of the parts I'm proud of, I feel good about, the parts I can't do anything about, I accept. And the parts and the rest of it is just sort of a daily shifting perspective. I'll look in the mirror some days and I'll go, oh my God, you look terrible. I'll look other days and I'll think, oh, you're not so bad. And I do what I can. I stay as healthy as I can. I do exercise. I try to keep my weight in the you know range I like, which oh. I can do now better than I used to be able to do. Um, make sure that I wear clothes that make me feel good. Um, I love wearing makeup and jewelry and nail polish. A lot me of women too. don't. Me too. Whatever works for you individually. I, I know what I need to do to make myself feel like I'm the best version of myself I can be at ah, this point. That's so important. You know what? It seems to me that past the age of 50, it is one transition after the next. So, you know, honestly, 
whether you're going through that great divorce or you're going through menopause and coming out with, I came out with a huge weight gain that I then had to lose. And in between body dysmorphia sort of became a way of life. We could all use a transition coach like Ellen Rothstein. And we will give you all the information on how you can get in touch with her, where she is in the, in the sphere of the internet. And I want to thank you so much. You know what? I so relate to many parts of what you had to say. And I, it seems to me like, you know, I took a big plunge. I always say I put on a bungee cord. I'd never jumped before and just jumped off the Empire State Building and said, okay, la la, maybe I could do this or that. But honestly, I'm happier than I've been in 20, 25 years. But boy, I had a lot of self-doubts and I could have used you, Ellen. So thank you so very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So much of what you talked about resonated for me, and I'm the happiest I've ever been as well. And so I, again, want to thank you for having me as a guest. Yippee. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old. <laughs>